What's up? Somebody wake me. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jay Soderberg. That's me. John Luckenbaugh. That's him. Two podcasting veterans. One from the production space. And one from the outer space. And we're, we're, we're QNO. Weekly news and tips in podcasting. On podcasts. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. My name is Jay Soderberg, a.k.a. Pod Vader. I'm here with my co-host, John Luckenbaugh. He is the founder, president, person extraordinaire of the Queued Up Podcasting Agency. Hello, John. Hey, Jay. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing just fantastic. And we have a very special guest here with us this week to talk about all things podcasting. His name is... Dr. John Sullivan. He is a professor of media and communication at Muhlenberg College. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to be on with you guys. I'll probably call you doctor so I don't confuse the other John, although I'm sure the other John thinks he's a doctor. (laughs) That works for me. Excellent. So, Dr. John, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about your background and and sort of what got you interested in podcasting. Uh, Happy to. So, uh, I'm here at Muhlenberg College, which is a small liberal arts college in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I've been listening to podcasts really since the around 2007, 2008. But uh, I teach courses that relate to media, media effects, uh, media tech, but also media industries. And that's my real big concern is what's happening in the media industry space. So for me, podcasting is fascinating because of all the changes that have been happening in the medium in the last five to six years. Podcasting today looks dramatically different than it did five or six years ago. And particularly compared to 2009, 2010, when I first started really listening to podcasts as a regular podcast listener, it's a very different medium now. There are a lot of the same content is still out there. A lot of the same great people are involved in podcasting, but it's just opened up so much. And that's really my fascination with podcasting is all the changes that have been happening. You wrote a academic paper about the platformization of podcasts. Can you give a short definition of what platformization is? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So there's a, a lot of interest in among scholars about what's happening with media and with platforms. And you can basically think about it as platforms are basically any online service that connects people together. So it connects listeners with content. It also connects listeners with advertisers. Platforms are simply these uh, ways for you to get access to stuff online. And compared to, let's say, uh, using the web in the late 1990s or early 2000s, where you had to go out and try and find stuff yourself using whatever rudimentary web search, you know, pre-Google web search uh, websites we had, or if anyone remembers InfoSeek or things like that, right? Uh, Or even early Yahoo, right, was just a kind of listing of sites and you had to go through and check it out. Well, platforms make finding content so much easier because you can input preferences, you can easily find things, directories, and Apple is really kind of a, an early innovator in this whole space because for the first time in 2005, right, you could use iTunes as a way to find and discover podcasts that didn't involve you hunting around the web looking for RSS feeds to cut and paste into your podcatcher. So that's platforms are, are all around us. We use platforms a lot, right? 
whether it's uh, like YouTube is the major video sharing platform out there. Social media sites like Facebook and Twitter are all platforms. So very few of us today actually use the kind of naked web to use a phrase. A lot of us are accessing the internet through and via these platforms. Now that's really super convenient, but it also comes with like a whole host of issues and problems like, you know, who controls the kind of content that you see on those platforms? What if people misuse those platforms for distributing false and misinformation about the U.S. elections or about COVID vaccines, whatever? And so suddenly all these questions about what kinds of content we should have access to become part of the discussions that we have about these platforms. You know, back in the early days of the Internet, it was all about AOL. and People thought they were on the Internet when they were on AOL. Now. Basically, what I just heard you say is we're all on AOL, just different AOLs at the same time. We're not even really on the Internet. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like come full circle, right? And I I was an early adopter of CompuServe, and CompuServe is the same thing. But what's interesting is that like all the things that CompuServe is, so CompuServe had forums, and you could post on forums and things like that. But CompuServe and AOL as well, back in the early to mid-90s, actually employed people who were content moderators on those forums, and they would actually, they, they, they knew enough to sort of care about what people were posting on those forums. So I really think, you know, people like Mark Zuckerberg can actually take some notes about what some of the early internet innovators did in the 1990s, and think about how they might integrate some of that into Facebook today, because Facebook could use some, some you know, employed content moderators. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook, I think Twitter is even worse. Can we can we put some on Twitter first? Twitter's up there. Yeah, I didn't even didn't mean to take uh, Twitter <laughs> out of the uh, sites. Twitter is also a, a major offender here. So it can be both good and bad, right? Yeah, platforms are just complicated. You know, they they allow us access to all this great stuff. And they also the key to this as well. And I didn't mention this about platforms is that it makes it really easy for us to communicate with one another by uploading content. So the great value proposition of something like YouTube is that it doesn't, you don't need to know a lick of HTML code or any kind of web language in order to upload your video and make it accessible to millions of people. You could do that with a couple clicks of a button. And that's what these platforms do. They ingest so much user data and user input, and then make that available to everyone. The same thing with social media platforms. That's their value proposition. They allow us to connect with one another in ways that were were difficult in the late 90s and early 2000s. But the other side of the value proposition is because it makes that so easy, it also makes it easy for us to come into contact with content that is misleading, that is racist, that is xenophobic, that has all kinds of problems and issues with it. So these platforms are a double-edged sword. And the fact that these platforms act basically as their kind of own self-governing systems, right? There's no kind of oversight. There's no regulation of oversight of what things like Facebook and Twitter are doing. We essentially rely on their own internal governance to make some rules and boundaries. And as we've seen over the last five, six years, they have a hard time doing that. So, Doctor, have you seen the, um, on Netflix, there's the documentary on social media? I have not seen that. I've not seen, but I've heard a lot about 
Yeah. So kind of what you're saying where once, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or one of these social media platforms, once you go down the road of finding the misinformation, I guess what you would call it, that that's all you're going to see. You're only going to see one side of the story because that's what Facebook or or whatever platform you're on assumes you want to see. So they're just going to load you up. It's like bringing me to the dessert buffet and saying, <laughs> go ahead, eat it all, and I won't stop. Meanwhile, there's a there's a lovely table of salads and, and good food just right over there, but I won't go visit that table at all. And uh, Jay, to extend your metaphor, what platforms do is essentially that based on your past history and past behavior, like if you eat a lot of desserts, they're going to keep serving you desserts, right? They're going to keep bringing that to you. So one of the fascinating things I, I found interesting about platforms is that they shift the whole media model. So our media model, at least for podcasting, for a lot of other online media, used to be kind of a poll model. If you wanted to get access to it, you had to go out and find it. You know, you had to do a web search. You had to go to, in the early days of podcasting, it was a site like Podcast Pickle, right, where you could see a listing of the RSS, which is basically just a cut and paste of lots of RSS feeds. You had to actively make a choice to go out and find this information. That's not how platforms work today. Platforms work in a kind of what's called a push model. So they present content to you based on your previous history of consumption or your interests or your demographic profile. They give that stuff to you. And you can spend all day just consuming the stuff that Facebook, Twitter, or even sites like Spotify put in front of you. And that, I think, is going to change the way we think about podcasts. So you could technically, I mean, theoretically, you could log into Spotify, launch up your Spotify app, and it could just present you with a list of things that it thinks you would likely be interested in. And you could just hit play and then have a completely hands-off experience where what you're getting is served up to you by the platform itself. That's the convenience of platforms. There's obviously a double-edged sword to that because the information that you're getting can be dramatically kind of curtailed by the kinds of algorithms that are used by these platforms. So there's another great media scholar at the University of North Carolina who's been talking about how YouTube basically radicalized a whole generation of people by... So she was doing some research on uh, Trump rallies. And so she was looking at a lot of YouTube videos of Trump rallies and she started noticing on the side in the related videos or suggested videos that YouTube was suggesting for her, a lot of really far right content, because those are the same people who are watching Trump campaign videos. She was just interested in looking at Trump speeches. But suddenly, and then when you go down a rabbit hole of let me click that one, and then the next one in the sidebar was even more radical than the first. You click that one and they go far and far and far down this rabbit hole of right wing extremism. And it's not that YouTube was trying to kind of uh, consciously radicalize her by showing her more and more far right extremist content. That's just how the algorithm works. So we're handing over our discoverability uh, of new information and new content to these algorithms that are quite literally black boxes. We have no idea how they're made or how they work. Going back to podcasting and sort of understanding that podcasting was invented as, as something that was meant to be open source. Most podcasters are developing their content with the idea that they are platform agnostic. But if we're living in this 
platform world with different rules on each of those platforms, how is the individual podcaster supposed to navigate through that? That's a great question. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by podcasting, because podcasting kind of pre-existed was a pre, you know, it, it was around before we had social media, before we had a lot of these uh, streaming platforms. And for that reason, it's kind of defined by this open architecture of RSS, right? RSS is really, when you think about it, it's kind of a throwback. It's a throwback to a time when the internet was uh, a lot more open, when you had to go and find stuff and just, you know, cut and paste things like that. So that exists kind of in an uneasy tension alongside these major platforms. Even though you can subscribe to a podcast through your own RSS uh, reader and podcatcher, you can also get the same content through a major platform like Spotify. Now, to the end user, it probably looks exactly the same. You might hit subscribe or follow, or you might hit, you know, on Spotify, you might do the same thing on your podcatcher app, and you get the content downloaded, and you listen to it, and your experience is exactly the same. But on the back end, it's a very, very different experience, because Spotify may be streaming the content to you rather than having you download it. And the other key is that Spotify knows a lot more about you than your podcatcher software does. Spotify has, because you created a user profile on Spotify, Spotify knows your name, your home address. Probably if you've subscribed to their premium service, they got your credit card data because that's how you paid for the premium service. So they can match all that data up to create a very detailed profile of who you are. Now, if you're an advertiser and you want to do a very targeted ad buy of people who might want to purchase your product or service, you're going to look a lot more to services like Spotify because they can provide for you a lot more detail about your end consumer than, let's say, an RSS feed can. Because an RSS feed, because it's open, it's also built on a time when the web was largely anonymous, where, yeah, you've got IP addresses to download your stuff, and maybe you can match that up with a particular geographic area. But that's a very crude and rudimentary sort of targeting, geotargeting that you can do. But with these platforms, they have so much information about who you are as an individual that they can target advertising messages much more precisely. So my kind of broader concern for podcasting is not necessarily that we're going to lose the open architecture for podcasting. It's not that. But it's that because advertisers are going to increasingly demand from podcasting the same kind of detailed information about customers that they get from, let's say, Facebook and Twitter and other forms of social media, that that's and all the ad dollars are going to go towards that kind of advertising buy, it's going to skew podcasting. So that if you're looking to do podcasting as a career, let's say, and you want to monetize through advertising, that the keys to that monetization are going to run through the platforms. So yeah, you, you're going to be everywhere. You're going to be on RSS. But the only place that you'll be making money will be through platform services. And that I think is going to skew, that's going to skew the whole ecosystem in a way that may not serve the long-term interests of the medium. That's my concern. It may be that that doesn't come to fruition, but I can see that coming down the pike. 
Is that why you have uh, interest in what uh, Dave Jones and Adam Curry is doing with the podcast index and podcast 2.0? Yeah, absolutely. I think what what they are doing is super, super important. Right. So I think that if you listen to their podcasting 2.0 podcast, what Dave and Adam say, and particularly Adam Curry has been really vocal about this, is that one of the reasons why they decided to create an index outside of, let's say, the major platforms is that they wanted to ensure that podcasting remained a medium that was dedicated to free speech. I think Adam Curry in particular was pretty concerned when services like Spreaker and Apple basically deplatformed, to use a term, deplatformed Alex Jones and Infowars and basically took him off their services. Now, because podcasting is an open ecosystem, all he did was, you know, he carries his content on his own server and puts out his RSS feed. So anyone could just go back in time to 2004 and do a cut and paste of an RSS feed into your podcatcher. And then you could completely bypass Apple Podcasts. But it was effective in the sense that very few people today actually do that or even know how to do that. So what Dave and Adam are doing is trying to create an index of podcasts that exists outside of platforms. And that I think is important, right? So that there could be a kind of giant yellow book pages for podcasts that wouldn't depend on a major platform service like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, for example. Apple, since it's been around since 2005, also acts as like a very uh, important archive of the medium as well. So you think about how many of those feeds that are still on Apple Podcasts that haven't been updated for a decade or more. If Apple were to cull their podcast list and say, well, we only want podcasts that have been uh, updated at some point in the last five years, even in the last five years, you would lose a major chunk of podcasting history. Because even though those audio files might still be available on a server somewhere, you would never be able to find them without Apple Podcasts. So having a kind of index that exists outside of the major platforms, I think is super important. Well, just using Daniel J. Lewis's numbers on the Apple Podcast app, 38.45% of the podcasts in the Apple Podcast app are listed as active. And his definition of active is one episode in the last 90 days. So that means 61.5% of the podcasts on Apple haven't published a new episode in the last three months. And that's over 1.1 million of the podcasts in the app. That's that's a number of them. So by creating this podcast index, you kind of provide a source that can't be manipulated by a private entity like Apple, right? Right. If Apple decided to remove feeds or things like that, and you had a kind of backup of those, you could keep those feeds active, right? You could allow people to help find them. But another important aspect, I think, of what the podcast index is doing is they're also hoping to, they're trying to push through with developers to make changes in the RSS specification to allow for new tags in the RSS to allow people to not just to find things more easily. So they're creating tags for sort of guest tags, host tags, things like that to allow you to sort and find podcasts more easily. But they're also trying to include in the specification some ways for you to actually monetize outside of the platforms. And that, I think, is perhaps even more important than the indexing function, is to separate out the monetization 
from the power of the platforms. Because if you can monetize effectively outside of the platforms, you will ensure that the medium stays free and open. But as soon as all the keys to monetization are kind of vacuumed up by the major platforms, I think that's a problem for the long-term viability of the medium. Is there a clear bang for the buck in terms of promotion that you've seen in ways to sort of cut through this clutter and get your podcast noticed by others? Well, there's all the, you know, traditional ways. There's all of the, you know, kind of going to social media. And I think I've seen some reports that show that a lot of the new subscriber growth is in linking through social media and from social media. So whatever it's Facebook posts, Twitter posts, all that kind of stuff. So I think what's happening now with these new kind of features, things like Clubhouse and things like that, where you actually, you're, you're integrating social media with podcasting. A lot of people see that as the future simply because that those kind of uh, links where you can get some, some people to your podcast to hit that subscribe button. But then there's other stuff happening on yet another part of the medium with people like Google And Google, I think, envisions, and Spotify too, I should say, probably envisions a future where you would no longer need to follow or subscribe, whatever the term is, in order to get podcast content. So Google has started, of course, transcribing each and every podcast that it vacuums up into its RSS feed on the back end, not making it available to end users, which would be super helpful, but instead using that as the backbone for their search because what do they do? They do text search. They do, they unearth things that you can find through text. And then after all those AI transcriptions are held in a massive server farm, you can search through Google Podcasts and you can unearth not just a show or an episode that has a keyword that you're looking for, but an exact moment that the hosts or the guests were talking about that specific keyword in that episode. And then you might listen to that. So the whole kind of future of the medium could eventually be kind of uh, atomized into these small little pieces where everyone is kind of sharing snippets of podcasts. No one's listening from beginning to end or subscribing to an episode, but everyone is sharing, you know, 10, 15, 20 second snippets of audio that are going around the web. It's one way to think about podcasting as a kind of micro podcasting service. But that's another potential feature of the medium that probably will exist alongside podcasting as we know it today. So with them integrating these transcripts into their algorithms, that's just another reason why you need to use your SEO keyword search and not stuff your episodes full of them, but kind of tailor your subject matter to what is being searched for. Yeah, and and good show notes and also uh, time-coded show notes. I, I find it really helpful to have time-coded show notes because then, and, and lots of lots of podcasts do this. So you look in the show show notes, you can see time codes, and then eventually you'll be able to. There'll be like uh, chapters, and a lot of uh, the podcatcher apps are now integrating chapter features in there. And I think that's really helpful, and that's really useful. I think that's awesome. The goal of SEO is for people to get interested in your content, but even if you take into account that people might not be interested in every single episode you have, or even every single moment of every single episode. If you can hook someone into that 10 minutes that you're talking about some particular thing that they are very interested in, that's a that's a win for you and your yep. podcast, right? Yep. 
I just get worried that people will only want to listen to my Tom Brady conversation and not <laughs> the great conversation I have about the Jacksonville Jaguars, which might happen before the Tom Brady. Or I might have five ads before I get to the Tom Brady conversation. <laughs> you know, I guess I, guess I got to load up all the ads on Tom Brady. It also kind of brings to my like, I love going to regular print libraries because I'm an academic, I'm a scholar, I'm a geek, but I love browsing in libraries. Because of the pandemic, we've had to stay off campus, teach remotely, things like that. So anything that I've gotten from the library, I have to actually do a kind of search, like a web search and go and find there. What that eliminates, though, is I used to go to the library and I used to go looking for a particular book. And then I look to the left of the book. And oh, here's something that's interesting. And I go to the right of the book. Oh, man, this looks interesting, too. And inevitably, I would come out of the library with five or six different books that I didn't even know that were there, but because they were adjacent to the general area I was looking for, of that book I was looking for, I came away with some great stuff. And sometimes I found stuff that was just amazing that was even better than the thing that I was looking for to begin with. There's a kind of term for that. It's just called like serendipity. So there's this kind of serendipity in podcasting. Sometimes you'll tune into one thing and then you'll find five other things and say, oh man, this is great too. And let me let me get access to this. And in a kind of targeted search world, that is the kind of future that Google envisions for us or that Spotify envisions for us, where you get only the thing that you want and tons of that. It potentially gets us away from the serendipity part of finding new great content, which is, I think, how podcasting has always operated and thrived is by word of mouth recommendations and by People, you know, saying like, oh, man, if you like this, you should really check out this podcast. It's the cross fertilization, the rising tide lifts all boats that helps podcasting thrive as a medium that is also potentially under threat by this kind of algorithmic driven discoverability that you find on platforms. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously an NFL fan, but I also love listening to Radiolab. I love listening to podcasts about podcasts, obviously. <laughs> I love. You know, I love all sorts of different things. I have more interest than just the NFL. But if I'm listening to an NFL podcast, those search recommendations are only going to be sports related. I'm not going to get the Radio Lab recommendation. Now, I don't necessarily need the Radio Lab recommendation. But to that point, you know, I think one of the downfalls of the Apple new and noteworthy is that it's only from the biggest companies that are already going to end up in the top 200 list on their chart where where they could really help out the independent podcaster is feature shows that are never going to be found in Apple because they are so small and they're by so little people. And yeah, that might take a little extra time to curate, to really find those gems that exist out there that aren't being heard, but that should be your job. Just saying. We need like a, uh, a Sundance festival mm, of podcasts. Right, We need to develop some cachet around independent podcasts such that we have a list that's like an indie list, right? So you can go on Apple Podcasts and say, hey, I want to check out the indie list. And here's all the independent podcasts and then have some curation there that helps you discover new and noteworthy independent only podcasts that don't go through one of these major, you know, networks or things like that. You know, it's not owned by iHeartMedia or SiriusXM or Spotify or any of these others. 
I was going to mention Wallingford, Connecticut, but maybe Hershey, Pennsylvania is a better place. Just saying. Yeah. As we wrap things up here, Doctor, so what what are your predictions for the future when it comes to platforms and podcasters and the competition that's ahead? I hate to, you know, prognosticate too much, but I, I do I do see a future where we're gonna have, you know, three or four major platforms out there. There's, you know, we're already in a in an environment where there's tons of mergers and acquisitions going on and the pace is is just picking up. Uh, for that. I mean, 2020 was just 2019 and 2020, both were two years of just insane amounts of uh, mergers and acquisitions in what was a very competitive space, right, for uh, all kinds of new content. So that's probably going to continue, maybe not at the same pace, but that will continue into the next year. Amazon has yet to figure out what their strategy is once they do. I mean, they're kind of hunting around. They've been around the space for a long, long time with Audible, but somehow have not really connected their Audible to podcasting for some reason. It makes absolutely no sense to me. But the fact that they purchased Wondery tells me that they're actually very serious about getting into podcasting in a big way. Uh, They just haven't figured out how to do that yet. That I see is, you know, eventually the kind of drifting out to where we have, you know, three or four major platform players. They could be Spotify, Apple, you know, Google, Amazon, kind of your who's who of tech companies, followed by some major radio players like Sirius XM and iHeartMedia and, and the like. So you might have like five or six major platforms, and then you'll continue have to have RSS on the side. What we don't want to happen is for RSS to be kind of like the stepchild of the lost leader for podcasting, right? We don't want it to be like, hey, subscribe on RSS. And then it's like a freemium model where you get, you know, you can get a couple episodes for free on RSS. And then if you want more content, you got to go to X platform. And because we're now behind a paywall, and you're going to have to get access to us there, right? And it's exclusive, you can't get us on any other place but Spotify or Apple Podcast or things like that. So that's the exclusivity that I hope is going to be avoided. It won't be avoided with the largest podcasts, right? So if podcasting is like Grand Central Station and we're all milling around with hundreds of thousands of other podcasts on the floor Grand Central Station, right? You're going to have a raised dais on one end of the Grand Central Station and Joe Rogan is going to be sitting on a throne at the top of it above all of us, right? <laughs> but um, there will be some who can rise above. And, but those major platforms are going to create their own momentum. As long as there's enough way to actually make a business in the smaller audience sizes, um, I think that's going to bode well for the future, the future of podcasting. Awesome. Well, Dr. John, it's been fantastic. How can people get in touch with you or maybe? read some of the things that you have uh, in the works? You can check me out at uh, muhlenberg.edu is the uh, the website for Muhlenberg College and do forward slash mediacom, uh, M-E-D-I-A-C-O-M, and you'll get the media and comm department and find me there. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at at jsullivan47. I'm pretty active there. I tweet a lot about podcasting and podcast stuff. So if you're interested in that, check me out there. And thanks to both of you. It's for a great conversation. Well, thank you. I hope the students at Muhlenberg appreciate having a professor like you. Because, you know, <laughs> I know back in the day, I didn't appreciate my professors at Emerson College nearly enough. 
John, if people are interested in Queued Up, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you can contact us through our website, which is queuedup.com, qd-up.com, or through email, which is info at queuedup.com. We are also available on all social channels, so make sure you subscribe and follow us there too. I'm at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter. I'm really easy to find. My DMs are open, so you can talk to me there. I'm also on LinkedIn as Pod Vader. Again, just search Pod Vader. I'm super easy to find. If you prefer email, nextfanup at gmail.com is probably the best way to get in touch with me if you prefer a longer form of communication. So thank you, Dr. John Sullivan, for joining us on today's show. I think it was super interesting to talk about the platformization of podcasting. John, we'll be back again next week with another exciting episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. Until then, there you have it.